Hey podcast listeners, it's Justin with Midwest Mealworms. Sorry for the gap between uh, episodes here. I've been a bit under the weather, uh, a lot going on at the farm. Uh, I was out at the uh, MOA conference this past weekend, uh, Thursday through Saturday. So had a lot of prep work to do for that, a lot going on. So um, what I've got here for you is the audio from my presentation at the conference. Uh, I did this on Saturday the 25th. Uh, it was a group of folks that are, were curious about raising mealworms uh, and utilizing FRAS. So hopefully you get some value out of this. The PowerPoint uh, and PDF of the slides that I went through is posted on my website. Uh, check out my social for the, the details on that. And uh, hopefully uh, there's some good insights uh, in this uh, conversation. Let me know if you have any questions. Resources. So it doesn't take a lot of input to get an output here. 
Um, so to get one pound of mealworms, you guys have been, uh, some of you have been over by the booth. Um, there's a tray sitting there uh, that has about a pound of mealworms in it. Um, to get to adult uh, larvae, which is the worm form, they need two pounds of feed, like wheat bran, wheat bits, something like that. One gallon of water spread out across the months that, they, that they're growing, and two cubic feet of space. That's all that they need. Um, and, and when we talk about space, one of the really awesome things about insects is that you can go vertical. So I'll have a really good picture of my farm here coming up. Um, but you don't need anything fancy for these guys. So different types of feed you can use, wheat bran and wheat mids are the two things that I use. Uh, you can use oat brands, really any kind of bran. It gives them a nutrient source. They'll eat that. Uh, they live in it. Uh, and then they'll eat it. Uh, and then they need the moisture source. Uh, low volume is all you need to do. So scratch from the garden, throw those in. Um, and that's just a moisture source that they eat out of. So they'll still use the nutrients in whatever you give them, a carrot, a potato, things like that. But you could literally put just water in there. You can spray water on the bran. Uh, they'll use that moisture source and they can survive on that. Uh, interesting tidbit, if your humidity is above 70%, they'll actually pull moisture out of the air as well. So um, that's actually what our farm runs as, about 70 to 75%. Uh, but that's, that's the optimal. That's not what you have to have. Okay, and that's what's really cool about mealworms is they can grow in a lot of different scenarios. Um, so they're super easy to raise. Anybody have any questions on the feed or the water or anything like that? Okay. We'll be bashful, guys. Um, the, the other thing that's awesome about this is it's super easy to scale. So on the left here uh, is the, the what I would consider a micro farm. Uh, some folks consider my operation a micro farm. Um, but the, that five tray um, uh, bin system there uh, is what's on our table today. Um, and you can see the, the marker there. So that thing's only a foot tall. It's got five drawers to it. You could literally start with that small of a farm. Uh, there's a partner farmer that I have who makes these. She cuts the bottom of that top tray off and puts a screen in. That's where the beetles go. Um, we'll talk about the, the life cycle here in a second. Um, and then she gives you the beetles, the pupa, the larva, so you can get your farm started. Uh, this is a super great way to get started for somebody who needs a low volume. So if you've got a reptile, um, maybe a, a bird inside like a parakeet, something like that. Um, if you're wanting to use mealworms for chickens, you're going to need something a little bit larger. But this is a great way to get started. Um, and this kit that she sells is $80 shipped. Um, it's a really good quality. It, like I said, it's on my table. Come by and, and take a look at it. Um, I've been impressed with it. Uh, it's working very well. Um, comes with instructions as well. So. You can literally give it as a gift to someone, um, as a potential prank if you really want to, uh, but they can get some value out of that. Um, so I started with something very similar, and you guys can start, like if you've got Rubbermaid containers at home, anything that is slick, like plastic or glass, that's clean, they won't be able to climb up. Uh, beetles have wings, but they don't fly. So they're literally, literally trapped in whatever you put them in as long as they can't scale the side of it. Um, so I started with a similar tray system and then moved into uh, a three-tier system, and now uh, that is actually a picture from the farm um, in a 20 by 24 foot space uh, that's eight and a half foot tall. And so the tower here in the middle, this wooden guy right here, he's eight foot tall and holds 24 trays. So each one of those trays holds about 10 to 15,000 mealworms. Um, and those trays there are actually beetle trays, my reproduction trays. Uh, so they'll hold about 1,000 to 1,500. Uh, and that's half the farm. The other half of the uh, farm's on the other side with more trays, um, some sifting machinery, things like that. Single part garage, right? No. Uh, it's a 30 by 40 built right garage shed. Yeah, so I renovated it myself um, and I 
needed the front half of it for personal stuff, I couldn't use the whole thing. So um, I took the back end of it, framed it out, insulated it. Uh, it's got two by four walls, two inch rigid foam insulation, um, and uh, ventilation as well. So keep it at 80 degrees and 70% humidity year round. Crank it out from the walls. So the low temp, it can't go below like 40. You can keep right below 40, they'll start dying. Um, below 60, they basically aren't going to reproduce. So like a basement would be good as long as it's around 60 to 65. They'll still grow, it's just going to take a little longer. Uh, in this scenario here, from egg to harvestable larva, uh, which is about an inch, will be two months. If you're doing it in a basement scenario with not optimal, it could be three or four. It'll still happen, it just takes a little longer. Good question. All right, so we talked about pros and mealworms. I love them. But you guys do need to know the cons. Uh, the biggest con is allergies. So um, in my scenario, it's a bit extreme because I walk into a room filled with nothing but mealworms, right? So um, I'm wearing a full face respirator, uh, covering my eyes, covering my mouth. I wear long sleeves. Um, I'm also a highly allergic person. So I started off um, not, not being equipped to do this. Uh, and I will actually get hives on my skin if, as I'm sifting grass. Uh, it gets aerosol into the air, uh, lands on my skin, I'll break out. So that's why I'm always wearing long sleeves. Um, I have asthma as well. Uh, genetics are awesome. Um, and so these guys just trigger all of those things. Um, what you need to be aware of is with that small farm, like the micro farm, um, you're not exposing yourself in a mass quantity like what I'm doing in a small, small room. Okay? Uh, but if you do have allergies, just take caution with that. The biggest uh, allergy inducer is the price. So the frass is a really fine particle, it's the manure that comes out of the insect. Um, when you're cleaning your trays, you want to make sure you're either doing that outside, uh, wear a mask, like a simple paper mask would be just fine, um, just to take precautions. Because over time, just like with anything, if you expose yourself long enough, you can develop things and, and reactions to that. Um, so there have been quite a few studies on the allergic reactions to mealworms, and a lot of it is uh, workers in a farm constantly dealing with them, touching them, so um, most of the videos you'll see on my YouTube channel, I always have that mask on. Uh, when I do any sort of educational stuff, I'll turn all the fans off in the room, all the humidifiers, and let everything settle for about two hours before I walk in there. And then I will not actually manipulate stuff very much because once you do, it starts moving around in the air. So uh, something to be aware of. Don't want to scare anybody. It's low probability, but it's definitely something to think about. Um, I had a school teacher reach out to me because she started one of these in her, in her school and she got really panicked and worried because she uh, didn't realize there was this type of allergic stuff out there. Um, so just take some precautions there. If you're going to raise these to eat them, so there's nothing wrong with that, I've eaten the ones that I've raised, um, you wanna make sure that you don't have a shellfish allergy. So if you have a shellfish allergy, you could also be allergic to insects. So take some precautions there, try some, see if they infect you at all. Um, they're really good if they eat garlic for about a week, purge their system for four days, roast them, they'll taste like garlic. Um, and the next con is time, and it's not actually the active time working in the farm. So like I said, I do this on the side. This is my hobby. Um, I do this at night once everybody's asleep in the house, uh, on weekends when I can. Um, the time here is from when you get that egg to when you actually get mealworms. Uh, it's very frustrating because it's very difficult to see those, those baby mealworms for about the first four to six weeks. So you'll think nothing is happening, you'll get frustrated, and you might stop. And it's about that time where you're thinking, why is nothing happening here? A week or two later, you're gonna start seeing it. Uh, 
Um, so it just takes them a while. And like in that basement scenario and suboptimal scenarios, it can even take longer. Um, so it's just a, a matter of being patient with that. Uh, and then there could be a slight smell in large concentrations. So if you walk into my farm, the first thing you're going to smell is the brass. Um, you could also have, you know, if, if you don't take care of it and remove dead beetles or anything dead that you find in there, anything dead is typically going to smell as well. Um, the mealworms are carnivorous or cannibalistic, but they're not going to eat anything dead. So they don't do any cleaning for you, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so we've been talking about the live mealworms. Let's talk about frass. Uh, so frass, is, it goes by several names. Um, castings, manure, or poop, excrement, things like that. Um, a really good thing to compare it to is earthworm castings. So earthworms go through that process of digesting stuff, eating stuff, they poop something out, we use that in our gardens. Same concept for frass. Uh, the big difference between um, earthworm castings and mealworm frass or insect frass is that insect frass is dry. It comes out uh, in a dry form. It's only about 10% moisture, uh, and it's ready to use right away. You don't have to manipulate it. You don't have to do anything to it. You just sift the mealworms out of it so you don't get any, any bubbles in there, uh, and then it's ready to go. Um, it's a wonderful soil amendment. Uh, so inside of it, what it's got, every time an insect grows, it molts, it sheds. Uh, and this is typical of every single insect, that, that shed has what's called chitin in it. It's that exoskeleton that's real hard. And what chitin does in nature is it triggers the plant's immunity. It thinks it's under attack by an insect, so it boosts its immune system, um, sends out the receptors, it becomes a healthier plant. It actually produces more and is more robust. Um, quite a few studies have been done on it. Um, it's, it's a fantastic thing. Uh, it's also, it has very good NPK ratio. Um, so just with wheat grain and potatoes at my farm, we're getting a 2.5, 1.9, 2.5 NPK. And that's been consistent over uh, three tests over two years. Say that again, Ian. 2.5, 1.9, 2.5 NPK. And that's wheat grain and potatoes. It's a mild. So, right, right. So if, if you give anything additional to that, um, you can always modify the output. So do some research online. You'll see different insect frass at different levels. Um, you might see a 322, you might see a 1025, there's just a lot of different things. Everything input is going to impact the outcome. Um, so it, I use wheat bran in, in my wheat bran potatoes in my farm exclusively because I ship those live mealworms to folks that are going to use them for all different things. Uh, and those animals can have reactions to the mealworms if they need eaten something. So I had a lady in Texas who has a monkey, and she reached out and said if the monkey ate citrus, uh, or if the mealworms ate citrus and the monkey ate the, the mealworms, that it could have a reaction. Uh, so I'm very open up about what I feed them. You will see me post things like a watermelon rind in there um, or something from my garden uh, when it's not this weather out here. Um, and those are, are the insects that are going to stay in the colony. So to keep the, the colony going, whenever you get a, a larva um, to the adult stage, you want to keep 10 to 15 percent of it uh, to transition into beetles to keep your population steady where it's at. You want to increase your population, pull more than that from the, the large larva. So I'll feed the stuff that's going to stay in the farm, some of those scraps, just to save on having to buy all those potatoes. Um, so like I mentioned, the frass is a dry, sand-like substance, a great little odor to it. Um, it does smell a little bit, but it's not as bad as fresh manure uh, right out of the cow. Um, and I mentioned it's non-manipulated, so you don't have to do anything to it. You don't have to cook it or freeze it or mess with it. Um, all you need to do is sift it out. Uh, I use um, uh, some gold panning sifters. Uh, but a simple sifter from the dollar store uh, that's fine enough to let the frass through, but not let, let the mealworms through, which is fine. Um, 
Any questions about FRASC basics? Uh, so here's the actual nutrient uh, analysis from uh, my FRAS. Um, so FRAS is collected from the larval stage. So beetles will also uh, produce fat, uh, FRAS. I don't collect that because the beetles are also laying eggs. So if I were to sift the eggs with the FRAS, you could potentially get tiny mealworms growing in the FRAS. Uh, so I don't harvest the FRAS from the beetles. Um, finally, sifting it removes everything. Um, I use a 1 sifter and wait till all the wheat bran and wheat bits have been eaten in the tray so that you're not getting any of the wheat bran in the actual end product. Um, so the, the nutrients here, um, you can see some of the older results are still the, the 2.8, uh, the phosphorus 1.6, the potassium down there. Um, so these have just averaged out over the years um, um, that I've been testing it, and I've, I've stuck with that wheat bran potatoes just to see the consistent, consistency with it, uh, how it works out. Uh, what's interesting is that, yes sir? I have a question on handling you actually use the frass on your plant, do you recommend using it through a liquid like a water carrier or can you just directly apply it? You can do both. Um, so the downside to directly applying it is um, like it, in an outside scenario, if you broadcast it, um, if you're going to water it in right away, that's fine. If you're going to wait to let nature do its thing, just keep track of when you've applied it so that, or when that rain happens so that you don't overdo it. So I recommend every two weeks. Um, the frass on either indoor or outdoor applications. So, so it can translocate and wash. Correct. Correct. And, and how does it dissolve in water? Does it become pretty soluble? Or? It's not soluble. So it'll when, when I make a compost tea, it'll, it'll settle at the bottom. Okay. Um, and so that's one of the other downsides with indoor applications. I wouldn't recommend sprinkling on the top because over time it's going to build up and you'll actually get a crust. Uh, I, I did that myself about a year ago. So that's when I switched to the compost tea because it's just as simple and you don't get that looking across at the top. Good question. Uh, so as I was mentioning, it's also shelf stable. So one of my samples uh, I kept for two years and sent it again, um, and it was very similar MPK value. So keep it in, uh, it was in a, a basement, um, so 60 degrees and low humidity. Um, it, it'll stay for a while. So you can get a long life out of just a little bit of it, uh, and if you store it the right way, Um, so different applications, we, we touched on a few of these. So compost tea, very very small amount goes a long way. So one uh, tablespoon to one gallon of water, let that sit for 10 minutes, and then water normally. Uh, super easy to do. Um, it's not going to collect, you know, as you're pouring that water out, and you get down to the end, don't pour the, the last bit of it uh, into a plant. Uh, as I mentioned, it's going to build up over time. Uh, simple top dress, so I actually do this on our lawn, just walk outside and broadcast it. Uh, the one thing I'll warn about again uh, from an allergic reaction perspective is when you're broadcasting it, you are aerosoling it. So either have a mask on, make sure you're doing it downwind, that sort of thing. Um, you can also do it as a potting premix. So if you're mixing your own soil medium, add in one tablespoon to every seven gallons to give that uh, frass mix in there for the plants to use right out of the gate. Uh, and then foliar feed. So a little bit more there, um, but make your foliar feed and then spray A lot of the studies that are out right now about grass in general um, aren't particular to, to specific applications. So I had a gentleman come by uh, that raises elderberries and was asking some very specific questions about grass, and I said, I, I don't know, it hasn't been done yet. Uh, let's, let's figure out a way to test it. Um, so my, my recommendation is to try this on small pieces if you 
you've got any sort of crop that you're doing, test it out on an area, see how it reacts, uh, and let's work together to address it and, and see what can, what can uh, work best. Yes? Now you've known anybody to try to use it in fertigation systems? Uh, no, not personally, but I know they've done it before. The downside to it is you have to strain it before you put it through any of those systems because it's not... Well, you've um, got a screen on your fertigation tank. The, then you'll be okay. As long as you, as long as you don't screen your bottom, right? Some, right, it's going to yeah. settle. So, like at a tea bag scenario or something you can take out once you've made the compost here, whatever right. you do. What they, what they tell us uh, with the, in the small system is just take them on pantyhose. Right. <laughs> yep. Put it, in, put it in the pantyhose and dump, put it in the street and lay it out on top of it. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, as I mentioned, Frass is, is flexible and pretty cost effective. So, the, the one pound bags that we've got at the booth, um, that will make 75 gallons of compost. Uh, so it stretches a long, long way. Um, the good part about that is even in a small farm, a small mealworm farm, you, you're going to collect your frass and you're going to think, oh, well, this isn't anything, what am I going to do with this? But it's going to go a long way. Um, and like I mentioned, over the wintertime, store that up, keep it somewhere in a temperature controlled area, and then use that at the right time when you start planting and doing things outside. For those of you that have the nurseries and do year-round gardening and jealous, So let's talk about mealworm basics, the, the life cycle. Uh, so it does take two or three months from when that beetle lays the egg to seeing uh, an actual large larva you can harvest at the appropriate time. Um, you can always feed those larvae off sooner, uh, but if you're trying to keep the population going, you want to make sure you get a certain amount to that size. Uh, the beetles will lay most of their eggs in the first 90 days of their life. Uh, and when I say most, I mean 95%. So they'll live about a year, but after three months in a farm like mine, it's not an effective use of space to keep them around. Uh, in a small operation, uh, like that one tray system, the, the small system on our, at our table today, um, it's not worth trying to separate those beetles out. Just leave them in there and let them do their thing because you're not going for optimal there, you're just going for production. Uh, so the egg will get laid, um, it'll hatch, it'll be super microscopic, small, little tiny mealworm, you're not gonna be able to see it, that's why it's so frustrating. Uh, and then we go around that circle, it keeps growing and shedding, uh, the exoskeletons will come off, and then it turns into that pupa. So number three on the bottom. So it's an alien looking thing. Uh, it's white, it still wiggles, it is alive. Um, and then it will hatch and transition into an adult. So the larva stage is gonna take about two to three months. Your pupa stage can vary. It'll be about four to 12 days on average. And then your beetle will hatch and your beetle can live for 90 days as long as it's kept uh, in good temperatures and fed well. Uh, the beetle does not fly. So uh, you don't have to worry about it getting out. Uh, you do want to contain them. Um, these are a, a pest in like poultry farms. Uh, they will eat insulation. So the larva will actually, um, uh, the worm form will go in and eat insulation. Uh, they've been doing a lot of research and studies on these guys eating things like styrofoam, waste products. Um, they will eat the styrofoam. Uh, a study was released this year that showed after 48 hours, the styrofoam chemicals were no longer detectable in the mealworm itself. So it ate the styrofoam, uh, survived on the styrofoam, was fed nothing but styrofoam, um, and the only chemical traces was in the frass. So now they need to take that frass and study the impact of that frass in different applications to see, are we just moving you know, styrofoam from one thing to another thing, microplastics, that sort of concept. Um, but the very interesting thing is, no chemical trace in the mealworm, so it could be fed off to 
treating reptiles, things like that, without a concern of those chemicals being in there. Um, I tested that myself about three years ago. Uh, I put nothing but styrofoam in a tray of larvae and beetles, and they went through three generations. So I sprayed some water on them so they could get some moisture. Uh, no mutations, no oddities going on with the mealworms. They survived just fine. Uh, it was actually kind of crazy. I did not think it was going to work. Um, but I was the only one in that farm doing it. No one else from my house goes in there. Uh, they avoided like the plague. So um, I knew nobody was going in and toying with it. Uh, and sure enough, they survived for three generations. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, so that was about three years ago. And then uh, studies have been happening. So as, as we look at insects to handle uh, or address some of the plastic issues that are out there um, as a possible tool, um, folks have also been studying the mealworms to see what they can do. And it started from poultry farmers saying, I've got all these holes in here. Insulation, what else do we need? So. Any questions about the mealworm life cycle? No, but if you're poultry farming and you're feeding these poultry, how do you keep them from getting in your insulation? Make sure you don't overfeed. So when you feed when you feed the chickens, they're gonna go crazy for it, they'll eat them all up. Yeah. Just make sure that you don't overfeed.
they can get engaged, it might be boring, they may not touch it, and sits there for a week or two, they're still gonna be okay. Um, and then as far as sifting the brass, the reason I do that once a week, um, the brass is actually a heat sink. So in a farm where it's 80 degrees, once I get a good level of brass, that bin will actually overheat and will kill the millions inside of it. Um, so I sift that brass once a week um, so that the, the temps stay consistent within those, uh, within those trays. Um, what I would recommend though from a small scale is to sift when that brass gets to about uh, an inch in depth at, at max. Um, if you've got smaller trays or shallower trays, you just want to be careful that as you add in your wheat bran or your oat bran or whatever you're feeding them, doesn't get to the point where they could potentially get out of that tray. Okay. Um, so why would you bother raising your arms? Um, sometimes you do it because you're crazy like me. Uh, but if you want to use your, your live mealworms for things like poultry, reptiles, um, small mammals, uh, marsupials, uh, for example, hamsters, gerbils, things like that, um, it's a fantastic nutrient source, right? So you're giving them scraps from the kitchen potentially, from the garden, Brand, some sort of substrate and you're getting a 20% uh, protein source for your animals. Um, and the only output from that farm is the brass, which you then take and use on the garden, use on your indoor plants. Um, and then as things keep going, what you'll find is that these are not difficult insects to take care of and your colony is going to grow and expand. Um, and then what you can do is take those insects and market them locally. Um, you will be able to compete uh, with, with prices from like me, for example, you'll be shipping prices every single day of the week if you're a local supplier for both grass and the live mealworms. Um, and so what you'll find, and, and what I see a lot of, there's a couple groups that I admin on uh, several different, different social platforms, folks get into this, and then they start asking questions like, how do I get rid of these? I have too many, what do I do with this? Um, and so it just becomes a, you know, what do you want to do? Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, things like that. Talk to your local community, folks that may not even know that they could feed these live mealworms to their chickens. So it's a good little value add option um, to a side hobby that doesn't take a lot of time.
could take worms from that scenario uh, and then start your own farm. Um, you should be selling a freeze dry. They would have to freeze dry. And so yes, yes. So the, the freeze dry or the, the dry ones, 95% um, of the freeze dry and dry worms that, that folks are buying are coming from overseas. Um, there is a company out on the West Coast that has partnered with a local supplier, a, a United States supplier, to start selling their dry worms that are produced out in Washington, I believe, um, which is awesome. Um, uh, the dry worms are good, but they're what they lack is the moisture source to help the digestion process. Um, it's not a detrimental uh, to, to buy those and use them, but the live worm has more of the macronutrients in it and it's easier digested by the animals that are taking it. Maybe there's something wrong with my unintentional method. Is this what we try to keep out of our pantries? Those are flower flower beetles uh, and the lesser mealworm potentially. Okay, because I have a I, I use all natural flour, real stuff, you know. Yep. And I had it's, a, it's I had a bag, I, I don't know, a bag that's almost empty and it got shoved in the back of the pantry and the pit came all along on. And then we fed it to chickens the whole day. Yeah, it, it was it's, full of worms. it's possible. So these are, are um, definitely in grain silos, grain bins, things like that, because mm -hmm. that's what they feed on. Uh, and the, they're very hardy. Um, they can survive in pretty low temperatures, oddly enough. Um, and so like one of the things I mentioned before about sifting the frass and not getting eggs in it, excuse me, those eggs could last for a while. And if they're sitting outside, for example, they'll just be real slow to start growing. And then, like you mentioned, you'll suddenly find them at the bottom of a bag or something. Um, and so these can turn into a pest critter.
Then these worms are alive when you feed them to them, right? Correct, yes. I think it's been more fun just to throw, just to throw a handful of them out in the pen and watch the chickens. Oh, yes. It's, it's <laughs> and they'll, watch they'll learn football. too. So put, a, put the mailworms <laughs> in a paper bag and walk over and shake it and they'll start learning. Yeah. They, they absolutely love them. Yeah. And bluebirds love Yes. Um, one, of the, one of the biggest uses in Missouri is for bluebirds. Uh, one of the folks that I supply in Jeff City has a What's great about the mealworms too is um, for folks that want to feed them to something small like that, um, if you get into this and it's not for you, there's nothing wrong with buying those mealworms from the store like that um, and asking them where they get them from. Uh, but you can put those things in the fridge. So you can buy, you know, a, a 500, a thousand count, or buy four or five thousand for me um, and put them in the fridge, and they'll stay there for just uh, about two months probably. Um, you can take them out once a week, feed them a moisture source so that they stay nice and plump. And put it back in the fridge um, and they'll keep. So, from a cost perspective, it's somewhat costly to order 500 mealworms for me versus 5,000 because the 5,000 you can get a better discount on because it's bulk and you get the shipping. Uh, and then just put those things in the fridge and use them as you need them. Do you have any mealworms with you today? I do, yeah, they're at the booth. Okay, Avoid shipping. Somebody already spoke for them. There's plenty. Uh, there's, there's plenty. Yes, Kathy, I can share. I have your elderberry stick. Yes. What's the beetles? So I keep track of the trays to know when the beetle will hatch and how fresh they are. And once they hit the 90 day, I'll call them. So I'll put them in the freezer and freeze them and then put them out. Okay. Both in the same class. Yeah. The chickens will also eat them. They're a little harder in exoskeleton, but they'll still eat them. So it's a it's an even less frequent treat for them because it's got that hard exoskeleton. Okay, so um, like I mentioned, you can start this this process small. So you don't need to have a million trays like I do and have three three million worms in a farm. Um, you can start your obsession very small. Um, so this is the that kit that I mentioned. Um, so. $80 shipped, 
Uh, the top tray has that mesh in it so that they, the eggs fall down. You don't have to change your trays out with the beetles. Uh, so it's less maintenance and less work. Um, and then the, the beetles, pupa, mealworms come with it so that you can see what those different forms are. You don't have to worry about trying to get to each form, uh, get you off and running. Um, but if you're a DIY person and you have one of these Rubbermaid towers sitting around home, you can do this very easily. Uh, you don't have to have that mesh bottom. It's just window screen though. So if you have a broken window around, just cut, or, cut, it, cut a square out of it, put it in there. Uh, super easy to do. So the, the work to keep your farm going. So what do you actually have to do? So we mentioned the environment conditions. Um, you want to be careful with uh, going too low, below 60, because then you'll really frustrate yourself and not get anything. Uh, 40 to 80% humidity is good. If you want to try to boost that, um, I had a gentleman reach out to me who wanted to get to that 70%, uh, but he had a basement. He said, how do I get to 70% in the basement? I said, you don't want to do that in your basement because you're going to grow mold. Um, so we talked about like a grow, a grow tent, you know, different things that he might have available uh, that he could use for his particular need. So um, definitely reach out to me if you guys have any questions about it. My contact info is on cards back there. Um, I'd love to engage because I learn from you guys as much as you learn from me. So. I've already changed a couple things in my farm after talking with folks and engaging, uh, and that's really where I get a lot of my enjoyment out of this. Um, and light was, was actually already asked here just a second ago. Um, none is required, so they can literally be in a closet, uh, completely dark, you can go in there with night vision and never show them the light of day if you want to do. Less light is better. If you're using a big tower, you can just like throw a blanket or something over it. Absolutely, yep, put a blanket over it. Uh, the thing to be wary of there is you're creating even more of a microclimate. So um, when we talk about, you know, like 70% humidity or some percentage of a temperature thing, throw a blanket over that, that tray of mealworms, for example, they're going to generate, they're going to generate friction, generate heat. They can actually create more heat. They can't ventilate because you've placed a blanket over them. So any, <laughs> right, well, anything you do, you want to try to do in limited amounts. Um, and when possible, only do it to portions of your uh, so when I change a process or do something different in the farm, I segregate trays from all different stages and see and test what the impacts are because there, there are things that have happened that I didn't even think about. Uh, one of my partner farmers down in Florida, um, he has a external pest problem. So he's raising his own insects and he doesn't want the other insects in. So he put a netting over all of his beetle trays. The netting had a chemical in it that killed all of his beetles. So. Always, you know, if you're going to change something, try it on a small scale first and see what the impact is. Okay. Um, the actual work required, though, so um, you do need to uh, take care of them a little bit. So uh, we talked about um, uh, the feed sources. So whatever you're going to use these for, uh, you want to know what the diet is of that animal. So, for example, if you've got a monkey and that monkey can't eat citrus, don't feed your meal of citrus. A lot of animals shouldn't have citrus. Right. So it just depends on, on what you're going to, to use them for. Um, the substrate. So the substrate is what those beetles uh, and the mealworms live in. The mealworms will eat it. The beetles don't really eat it that much. So you can put a little bit in your beetle tray. It's going to go a long way. Your, your mealworms, though, will consistently eat that for their nutrition. Um, best option is wheat bran, uh, both from a cost perspective and a process perspective. It's very easy to sift that wheat bran out from the mealworms because it's flaky and small. Um, other things like your oats, they tend to get stuck in sectors you might be using. Uh, so just something to keep in mind. Uh, but again, what do you have accessible? If you're 
those at home and just take some of those and throw them in your small farm by all means do that. Uh, and then the moisture source, um, so I use exclusively potatoes, but anything with moisture source. So we actually had banana peel over there yesterday, they were going to town on. It's gone overnight, uh, it's no longer there. Uh, squash, sweet potato, things out of the, out of the garden, they'll eat any of that. Um, the one thing to mention about the moisture though is they don't eat fast. So you don't want to put too much, too much moisture in because too much moisture is going to result in mold. So it just becomes a process of getting in tune with, it's just like taking care of any other animal, getting in tune with the colony, understanding how much you need to put in, because it will vary. As your production changes, you might have 10,000 mealworms instead of 5,000 on a tray, they're gonna eat faster. So it's just a matter of you know, being attentive, looking at it, uh, take a minute a day to see how fast they're going through something uh, and address any changes that you need to do. So for the potatoes or the banana peel, do you slice it up then? So then what I do, I've got a french fry slicer for the potatoes, um, and so what that does is it exposes more of the surface area for the potato itself. Uh, in a small farm, throw carrots in whole, um, throw like a, a potato I would slice. They have a hard time eating the exterior uh, skin of things like apple or potato. Um, let's slice the potato and just put it on top, and then that'll be perfect. Uh, so substrate, I mentioned that they eat it. You want to make sure that you're looking at the substrate um, and not just from the top down. Uh, it can be very deceiving when you look at a tray at the top down because the substrate could be very minimal uh, layer and the rest of this grass. There's no nutrition in the grass, they don't eat that. Uh, so you want to run your hand through that, see how much of the, the wheat bran or your oats is in there, and then add as needed because they are eating that as their primary nutrition source. Um, and then I ran through some of the moisture source too as well, checking that every two to three days and just making sure that you're not overdoing that. That's one of the biggest things that folks do at the beginning they overestimate how quickly that stuff's going to disappear. So if you put something like a watermelon slice in there, that thing's going to mold. So be careful with what you're putting in and just monitor that. And I, yes. I know you said this, make sure I understand that screen, regular screen wire will sift the frass out. Correct. Uh, so you don't need super fine uh, mesh. Mm -hmm. The downside with the uh, wire mesh is that it could, or the window mesh is it could let some of the larva through. But as long as your tray that you're sifting has mealworms that are probably about four to six weeks old, uh, they're not going to go through that mesh. Um, and you'll find out. So do some sifting of it and just wait and watch. And you might start seeing things start moving around. And that's your indication you might need to either wait a little while to let that, uh, let those um, mealworms grow some more or find a finer sifter. several options and methods and again this is really contextual to what you have available what you want to use and what your, your output requirements are um, you could technically put all life stages in one container so um, what some reptile folks will do is they'll put uh, an aquarium a spare aquarium that they have they'll put their real worm colony in there and they'll have beetles pupa larvae all together in the same stage um, that's not a problem uh, unless you want maximum output so what will happen is they'll cannibalize they'll eat each other um, but you'll still get output. So if you've got a lizard, a reptile, things like that, um, having them all together is not a problem. Um, the other downside to that uh, is that when you go to sift the frass, you are more than likely also going to sift all of your eggs out. So you'll have a longer delay once you get them in fresh substrate before you start seeing, seeing more small baby mealworms because all your eggs are gone at that point. Um, but not a big deal. Again, if you're a fisherman, you want to use them for fishing, you don't need a whole ton of them. Uh, 
just a super easy way to do it. Um, the drawer with the mesh bottom is good for low production, low maintenance. Um, so if you've got you know an indoor uh, bird or reptile, um, checking that every few days to see if you've got pupa in your large tray, and just manually picking those things up and putting them in a different tray so that the larvae don't eat them. Um, and then once you check your pupa, uh, put your pupa in that tray, you're going to check for any hash beetles. Take those beetles, put them in the beetle tray. So you're just making sure you're moving those stages. Uh, you really only have to check that every three days. Um, uh, frass removal, so I talked a bit about that. Once a month is, is the minimum I would recommend uh, or when that frass is one inch thick uh, to go ahead and get that out of there. Because uh, again, it does impact their ability to move around potentially. Uh, it's also a heat sink, so it can mess with those temperatures within the drawers that you have. Um, scaling up, so if you decide to be crazy like me uh, and start increasing your production, um, you can increase these uh, pretty easily. Um, I'm not sure if this will work or not. Um, but those are, that's an example of the sifter I got. So it's actually on a uh, vibration plate, uh, which is technically an exercise machine according to eBay. Um, so all that does is vibrate back and forth. And so you pour the I pour a tray in. It sifts out different sizes of mealworms. It also sifts out the brass and does it a little bit more efficiently than just manually shaking a sifter. Uh, but if you, want to do, if you want to scale up, separate those trays out. Um, you're going to remove frass every one to two weeks. Um, uh, and then you've got your pupa uh, that you're going to sift out and sort every four to seven days.